Good morning, everyone. I hope you found the service helpful so far. We've had some really helpful thoughts about worship and ways that people in our church find to do it. And we've had some great songs which have helped us to worship. And so now it's time for my bit and I'm going to dig in more to this theme of worship. I'm going to start by talking about how we should worship. Um, And then once the kids are Um, working on their awesome activities, then I'll go into a bit more detail on why it's so important and how we can get help doing it. So, so far, the things that we've heard and the things that we've done have been expressions of worship, ways of doing worship. Um, And But worship in its most kind of true and proper form has to be from two different places. The outward expressions of doing worship, but also the inside heart experience of worship, our deeper connection to God. If singing really well and going to church every Sunday and giving lots of money away to the poor was all that is important, then the Pharisees in Jesus' time were the best. They would spend all of their time in the temple um, reading and learning long chunks of the Bible. Um, They would give lots away and they would pray these big, long, elaborate prayers. And, and, you know, they'd come up with all these rules, these ways of worshipping God really specifically, really well. Um, but then Jesus comes along and he says that they haven't got a clue what they're doing. In fact, he says that their worship is worth nothing, worth zero. Matthew 15 says, uh, is Jesus speaking and he says, these people show honour to me with words but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is worthless. The things they teach are nothing but human rules. What Jesus is saying is that the Pharisees are saying the right stuff, but their heart isn't close to God. So ultimately what they're doing is pointless, just made up human ways of doing stuff to look like worship. To be really worshipping God, we need to have our hearts be close to God, as Jesus is saying. And Jesus explains what this looks like in saying um, later in the passage that we'll be focusing on, God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So to help me explain this, I've got two plants. I've got this plant here and I've got this plant here. The soil represents God. And as you can see, they both look like they know God. They both have the truth of who God is and they're displaying um, that they have the truth. This is like when we sing the words, Jesus is the king or say our father in heaven when we're praying. The words are really good. We get them straight from God's word, the Bible, but they're not enough. There's something different. And that's the spiritual connection to the soil, the spiritual connection to God. If I was going to, if this plant wasn't so spiky and I could pick it up, you'd see that the roots connect it to the soil. But when I pick this one up, there's no connection. It doesn't bring any of the soil with it. You see, this one is rooted and connected 
to the soil and it's going to keep growing um, and it's going to be healthy and bear um, these lovely flowers. But this one is eventually just going to rot and fade away. So we need that truth of knowing God, but we also need the spirit. We need to be worshipping God with our heart. For all these things like singing and working and praying to be really good worship that helps us connect with God, show him he's worthy and help us to grow, we need to be rooted in him. And we can't just get rooted into God on Sundays when we sing the songs, um, when we feel all the the right sort of things. We have to be practicing this connection all week. In all of these things, getting connected to God as we do them and worshipping him. Some of us can find this quite difficult. And so I'm going to go into a bit more detail from the Bible about Jesus's words on worship. Um, but it's time for the kids to go and do their activities. Um, and so I'm going to hand back to, Durin- to Durinda, who's going to explain what's happening next. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Um, I hope that you found that introduction uh, to worship in spirit and in truth uh, helpful, that that sort of made sense, that um, I was trying to get across that for us to worship truly, we need the external acts of worship, which we may or may not be familiar with, but also this internal essence of worship. Um, the first is, is, is generally more understood. It's like singing and reading the Bible and praying. Um, as worship to God. But there are also other things um, such as working and cycling and dancing, basically using what God has given us, whether that's time or passions or uh, mobility um, or skills to bring thanks, adoration and glory to him. Um, The internal side of things is maybe more nuanced and that's mainly where we'll be focusing. Um, And you might not have thought about this before. But essentially, it's an experience of the heart that comes from a spiritual connection um, to the Father. And that that forms when we give everything to him. Um, Romans 12 verse 1 gives us a really um, helpful um, kind of explanation of this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That that worship comes from a deep spiritual connection to God through sacrifice, through sacrificing everything that we are to everything he is. And from that deep understanding of who he is, encountering him, uh, both in his word and uh, in our experience of him in spirit and in truth. I want to go into more detail of, of how did we get there? How do we get to that place? If we don't feel like we're there right now, how are we going to move forward to a place of deeper worship? But it's critical that we understand why this is important. Essentially, it's important because um, God is a God who is worthy to be praised. Uh, but there are things more specific than that in the Bible. So um 
One is that it's our eternal purpose, that this is what we are heading for. If we look in Revelation, we see some scripture on this. I'll just pull out one for us now that says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud pearls of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And we're going to be part of this multitude, praising God for all eternity. Secondly, in this passage even, we see that God desires it. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God longs for us to worship. And finally, it brings God's kingdom and it brings freedom. In the Old Testament, we see that the worshippers go out ahead of the army to bring the um, God's rule as the Israelites conquer new nations. But also in the New Testament, we see Paul is broken out of prison through his worship. Uh, that The doors fly open, that worship brings freedom from chains. How do we get to this place of worship? What, why aren't we there now? What's stopping us? Well, it's like I said, the spiritual connection that grows from giving everything to God. So if we're not giving everything to God, then there are gonna, those are things that are going to stop us from experiencing a deep and proper worship of God. And there's lots of, you know, when we see God face to face, you, some of you might have had really profound spiritual encounters or there have been times where you're reading his word where you really encounter God. And in those moments, it's so easy for us to give everything to God because when we see him for who he is, we can't help but worship him. But sometimes that can fade and there can be things that are getting in the way. Maybe that's an offense that you've taken to the heart. Or um, sin in your life, that is, things you're not willing to give to God. Or maybe it's just the traditions that box it in, the way that we do things, um, that stops um, worship from really growing. We see a kind of taste of all of these in the woman at the well. The woman at the well is who Jesus is um, saying all of this to. Uh, He's not there just shouting it for the author to hear um, and write down in the Bible. Um, But he is bringing this message of what worship should look like to one woman specifically who has had a number of barriers put in her way. Um, So I'm going to look at the rest, a bit more of John 4 that sort of wraps around this passage. And as I talk this through, I hope that God might reveal anything that's blocking us. It might be some of these, it might be one of them, um, but uh, if you're not encountering God in the way that you want to, particularly in this season through worship, um, then I hope that something here is helpful to you. So first, um, sort of the offence to the heart, what do I mean by that? Well, um, the woman says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask for a drink? Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. Their past had split a long time ago and they believed fundamentally different things about worship. 
On top of this, men and women weren't really free to associate at that time. So socially speaking, Jesus coming to this woman and asking her for a drink was very odd. It wasn't in line with her expectation. The woman had lowered her expectation from previous experience. We might have been through challenging times that make us ask God questions like, why did this happen? Or requests um, like, God, I really would love you to heal this person. And that have gone unanswered. And we've taken an offense to the heart from that, that's lowered our expectation. God, if I don't get answers from you, you don't get all of me. I'm not going to give you everything. Maybe there's a part of your heart that's taken offense. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. God may be asking for your worship, But through it, if you open your heart to him, you'll realize that he is the one seeking you to give you living water. To draw us to a place where we're able to say, more than answers, Lord, I want you. And what about our sin? Not in the narrow sense of a sort of, I've broken one of the Ten Commandments tick list, but in what we choose to give our lives to seeking, what we look for and want to take care of that we're not willing for God to be a part of. You might have heard this called, you know, putting up idols in your life, things that you worship aside from God. For this woman, it was seeking after men. We don't know if she was driven by thirst for love or whether it's acceptance or sex, but it wasn't healthy for her. And so, quite simply, Jesus calls it out. He says, you are right when you say you have no husbands. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And when Jesus is calling this out, it's not like we'd expect. The woman is not offended by this. But in in fact, she's released by this. When Jesus calls sin out in our lives, it's not going to bring guilt and shame. It's going to bring freedom. For us to go deeper into worship, we have to let Jesus into all the areas of our life. It's going to take work and it will bring conviction. But it'll also bring freedom and it'll bring fruit. This woman who has this sin called out in her life, goes on to say, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And from that, we see amazing things in this passage. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. This woman's um, willingness to be convicted of the thing that was blocking her leads her to a greater realization of who the Messiah is. And from that deep realization of who the Messiah is, there's a revival that comes to that town. An experience of Jesus 
that comes to that town? Is that not what we long for? Do we not long for fruit um, to be um, born in our encounters with our friends and family who don't yet know Jesus? Well, it takes this sin to be called out of our life and our deeper experience of worship to be found. Finally, maybe the things that we're holding on to about worship, about what worship should be, are not as good as we believe. Things that are connected grow, um, not like this banana, um, but like this plant. Things that are connected grow. And so if we're connected to God in worship, we should expect that worship to grow. Jews and Samaritans had argued for centuries about whether they should worship on the mountain or in the temple. Um, from the Old Testament, we actually know that the Jews were right, but we know that they had become tied up in that rightness. They'd become tied up in their tradition, taking their hearts far away from God. We should be careful of the same are there opinions about the way things should be done that are blocking growth in worship? Have we put restrictions on what worship should be? Are there opinions about worship that are blocking us? You know, we it's been a long time since we've been in the building. Are we thinking that, you know, it's not going to be good until we get back there? Well, the God that didn't need a mountain or a temple to be worshipped doesn't need Portswood's building. Um, he gives us his spirit so that we can worship in all places at all times. That we can worship in spirit and in truth. Does he need the right words or the right timings or the right videos? Or does he just need us to show up in spirit and in truth? Do we worship with an eternal perspective? How great is our God is an absolute banger. Um, but are we going to be singing that one in heaven? I don't know. <laughs> what boxes have we put worship in that God is going to take down in the new age? Jesus says this in the passage, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Do we worship with an eternal perspective? So, uh, to recap before we go into a time of response, worship is external acts of worship, but from an internal heart connection to God. It's more than an internal heart connection to God, but it's not less. Worship breaks chains and brings forth his kingdom. It's God's desire for us, and ultimately it's our eternal purpose. God longs for us to give him our everything, and we need to let him heal the offense in our heart. More than answers, we need you, God. We need to be convicted of sin in our life and we need to repent of it to bring new life and freedom. And finally, we need to worship with an eternal 
perspective, releasing our traditions of how things should be to grow into a deeper sense of his presence.